So uh, just a comment as well, as I say, uh, last weekend at Ashburnham, so many of us gathered on the, we had a Sunday lunch together. Um, we realised it was our Noah and also Josh Biggs's last Sunday, so it was great to get around them and pray for them. If you missed that, we sent them off last Sunday. We've got others to send as well through this month. Josh graduated uni, going to live and work and serve the Lord in Canterbury. Noah, who I left in Maastricht yesterday, where he's going to live and work uh, and uh, serve the Lord as a part of a new church plant there. Uh, so let's keep praying. Uh, over the next two, three Sundays, we'll be praying for a number of students that are going off to uni. We want to remain behind them, pray with them, stand with them, don't we? Yes, yes we do. Well done. Uh, and just as well, uh, in this kind of preamble, while I'm getting distracted by beautiful babies, um, uh, just a, a commendation. I've had so many comments um, about the Crawley servers over the Ashburnham church weekend. Uh, Tim led the stewards amazingly. Joe Stevens, who's just left the room with some children, I think, but worked full-time on all the comm stuff. Uh, Tim and Joe, particularly in the run-up to Ashburnham uh, and massively over the weekend. Um, Paul Elliott, who, who set up our site so well and really with a heart to help us build family and community over the weekend. Nick and Rachel serving on safeguarding. Even uh, Neil Stevens driving to and fro to make sure that some day visitors could get to us. All of that stuff is amazing. We're so grateful to you. But actually, most of the comments I've received have been from people. I've had messages and texts this week from people who are amazed at our numbers, who were serving as stewards, uh, your great attitude, welcoming people all around the site, on the doors, in and out of meetings. You've been amazing. Uh, and you, you've done us proud. And some of you are now serving when you've got, you know, you've got young kids and families and trying to work it all out. I know it's not easy. And we really want to thank you for your investment in last weekend. And we pray, even if camping and small children and serving and all that stuff has been hard work, we just want to say thank you uh, and just commend you for actually your service of us last weekend. I think the Lord receives that as worship. Uh, and uh, so a huge thank you to you for that. It was an amazing weekend. Um, we took a, a gift from this church that we put into the offering uh, of around £3,000, although I know, because uh, I, I saw, because I was down the front, many of you taking extra offerings to put in as well, which is fantastic. I think the total offering into New Ground, our part of the family of, of New Frontiers churches, was, was over £220,000, which is over and above what, as a team, uh, we've been praying for uh, and just enables the work to continue expanding. It's extraordinary. Uh, and so to say these kinds of things at the start of our, our generous series... Um, I think it shows we're on the right kind of track as disciples of Jesus Christ, though we've got lots to learn and, and grow in. Um, maybe as well, just, I, I, I'm going to say it now anyway, I, I, I don't think I've been on my feet um, preaching here since the start of July. Um, and, and honestly, personally, it's, I've, I've found it a, a difficult um, summer. I, it's been one where I've been very aware of, of my weakness and my inadequacy. I think over the 20 years or so I've been leading, I've, I've hit those cycles Periodically, not often, but periodically, just very aware, a little bit discouraged, um, and just aware of, of my complete inability to, to lead with any real competency in my own strength. Um, just leaves you feeling a bit kind of weak and empty. And um, I, I, The last couple of weeks I've been hopping about on crutches and it struck me uh, as, I, as I was coming home last night. I'm starting this new term and this new academic year quite literally with a bit of a limp in my leadership. But... I've been so encouraged over the last week or so particularly as I've uh, been encouraged by friends uh, and uh, getting my head into the, 
scriptures again. And in those moments, you, as a disciple, you just do what you know counts, even though you don't always feel it. You keep leaning into Jesus and to lean into one who, who truly does strengthen the weak and who truly does empower the impotent, the one who really does carry things, one who really does come alongside and bring help is an amazing, amazing thing. And we're going to run headlong into his help and his presence today and in this term ahead. And the Lord's been reminding me that he really does just want to um, uh, invite us into friendship and into intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Um, it really is important just to do friendship well and to do life well and to laugh and cry and eat and those things together, pray together. Um, we think, and as we talked and prayed with the eldership team a week or so ago, we really felt the Lord reminding us there's, there's much joy for us in this next little season of church life in simple fellowship and friendship together. That stuff shouldn't be underrated, should it? Okay, you're nodding with me? Okay, oh, oh, okay that's good. Um, uh, we just felt God reminding us, hey, just, just stop, just yield to me again, just enjoy me, just walk with me, and that's what, really what we want to do. So it's, September's always a big term, as ever, there's loads going on. Um, we've got a, a week of prayer and fasting coming up, we've got people that we're joyfully sending, though it's always painful as we send, we're so happy to. Um, we've got our new small groups launching, uh, we've got a team going to open up some doors with New Frontiers into Brazil, we've got our Equip Weekend with Henk and Yune from Maastricht coming to us. We've got leaders to develop. We've got Christmas events coming up. Uh, yay! Um, all of that stuff. But first, we're a family together, and we're invited to walk with the Lord Jesus uh, and with our Heavenly Father by the Holy Spirit. I don't know what your list is like coming into this term. Maybe you're just thinking about school uniform that fits and back to work. Or, um, but will you join me in leaning into Jesus, hey? Whether you're limping or whether you're running fast, Let's keep walking by the Spirit. Let's keep our heads up. Let's keep our hearts happy in God. Let's refuse to give in to discouragement, despair, intimidation. Let's keep coming joyfully into prayer and worship, whether it's at home where you're fighting it out or whether it's with the gathered church here on Sundays. Let's keep investing in food and friendship. I'd love to hear about loads of just meals around tables and fun and laughter. Let's keep loving God. Let's keep loving one another. Let's keep enjoying his rich love for us and out of that overflow, able to love each other. We have an amazingly generous and abundant God who's provided so abundantly for us. And I think in his abundance, we do actually get to flourish. Jesus does say, abide in me, rest in me. He talks about the vine and the branches in John's gospel. It is our job just to rest in him and the life flows into us. We don't work at that. You can work at it all you like, but it won't make any difference. A branch just grows because it's connected to the vine. And that's what the Lord's calling us to do as we flourish and grow. So I'm going to teach on worship now, um, after that little preamble. I just, uh, Lord, we, we love you so much. and we, we love you, Holy Spirit. And uh, Lord, we, we love your, your church family. You give us love for one another. Oh God, would you come now by your Spirit? Would you encourage every heart? Oh, we love you, Holy Spirit. Why don't you just lift your voices and express your own love for God. If you have the gift of languages, just pray in the Spirit for a moment. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that's okay. You might want to pray for the first time right now. Let's just thank the Lord Jesus. Something wonderful about thanksgiving. It's the, it's the gateway in to knowing God. I'll enter his gates with thanksgiving. <laughs> oh Lord, we thank you. We praise you. You're so wonderful. We're so glad you've invited us into this relationship. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We just want to thank you, Lord. 
We're so grateful to you. Oh, we praise you. You're so worthy of our praise. Yeah, so worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We love you so much. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 7, please, verse 36. These next few Sundays, we're just going to teach on something of the generosity of God. Uh, This series is rooted in the grace of God in the gospel. It's rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross where he demonstrated his generous love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, It's rooted in his kindness towards us. And all this amazing generosity from God shapes us as disciples in the way that we respond to him. So we're going to look at our worship of him, our response to one another, Uh, how we handle our money and our possessions and our time. Generous, that's what this series is all about. Today, in our life of worship, um, next week in our one anothering, then in our giving and then in our serving. I'm looking forward to this month together. Luke 7, 36. Oh, we could keep singing, couldn't we, hey? Uh, Well, I've got my small print Bible as well, hey? Look at that. That wasn't a clever move. Looks, no, it's all right. So I can read that from here, mate. <laughs> well, I need something between the two fonts, Tony. <laughs> oh, it's on the screen. Look at that. There we go. I'm still, I'm, I, I'd love a challenge. I'm going to read it from here. Uh, now, <laughs> one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she bought in an alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who'd invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him, and what kind of woman she is, and that she's a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii. It's about two years' wages. It's a lot of money. The other, 50, about six months' wages. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house... You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say amongst themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this story and the kind of the heart of it that tells us the more we realize the size of the debt that's been cancelled over our lives, the more extravagantly we are released to love. We shouldn't miss the shock of this passage, reading it in our English Bibles in the 21st century. This woman had lived a sinful life. She was a a prostitute. 
Um, she was earning money, selling her body for sex. She's in a Pharisee's home. The Pharisee is the most righteous of the righteous. He's the law keeper. He's part of the religious police setup. And so here are these two together in a house with Jesus. It's shocking and scandalous. Church is usually the last place that prostitutes want to come to for fear of being judged. This lady must have felt the same as she came into the Pharisee's house. I remember one time I was um, doing a, a leadership um, training course with some churches in, in rural Romania up in the, the north. And a lady, I noticed a lady come in at the back while I was teaching a room full of leaders. And she sat there for about half an hour till the session finished. I noticed all the time she's just weeping, weeping, weeping at the back. When the session finished, I grabbed the, my translator. I thought, I've, I've got to go and see this lady, see what's going on. And she just began to weep. She wouldn't even let me touch her. She was so ashamed. It turned out she was a prostitute. Uh, and she felt, I just have to go into the church, even though I've never dared go into church before, because I know they'll throw stones at me, was her expression. And she came in. She met with the grace of Jesus. And we were able to lead her to the Lord. And he forgave her sins through tears. Her tears of, of, of uh, shame turned to tears of joy. Again, I guess like many ladies who are prostitutes, she wasn't doing it because it seemed like a great lifestyle choice. It wasn't like something out of the Pretty Woman movie. She was living in a tough place and had no other way, so she thought, of putting food on the table for her children. Here is a woman who's lived a sinful life, and she's afraid of being judged by the self-righteous, proud Pharisee. She knows she's got no right to be in the room here with them and with Jesus, but her attitude is this, I'm desperate to be near Jesus, like the woman who came in at the back in Romania. She doesn't have an invitation to a place at the table, and so she gets to the only part of Jesus that she has access to. In the Middle East, they reclined away from the table. I don't know how you eat kind of lying down without getting terrible indigestion, but that's what they did. Maybe it's just a great diet and good wine, I don't know. Um, so he reclines away from the table. She, uh, she probably knows the rules, but she's so desperate she doesn't care anymore. She doesn't know any worship song words. She wouldn't have been able to join in just now. She doesn't know how to approach Jesus. She comes the only way she knows. It's very physical. And near, as she gets near to Jesus, like this lady I met at the back, I'm not Jesus, but as we came near to her and began to express love to her, she began to weep. And so this woman in the story is overcome with weeping. That's what the Bible calls conviction of sin, I believe. You become aware of your sin up close to the perfection of Jesus Christ, my imperfection, his amazing perfection and rightness, righteousness, his purity, my dirt and impurity. And when we get convicted by our sins, I guess there are two responses. One is to shrink back, to run away. We can't face it. Uh, the other, uh, and th this is the right answer, by the way, is to press through, to run towards Jesus in repentance. This lady couldn't look Jesus in the face anyway. It was a good thing she came to his feet. She was carrying so much shame. She bows at his feet. And her hot, bitter tears of sorrow become tears of cleansing, I, I believe, as her heart gets undone at the feet of the Saviour. It's a beautiful story. It's, it's deeply shocking and intimate. It's too much. It's, it's physical. It's messy. It must have been fragrant. Um, this lady doesn't know when to stop. I mean, just a little bit and then kind of back away out the room. Surely there's no convention here. I, I've been wondering as I've been reading this story this week, when, when, did I, when did I last worship the Lord in this kind of way? The Lord Jesus receives her worship. And in fact, he rebukes the self-righteous, the religious. He reminds us of this core truth about what true 
worship is, that those who've been forgiven much worship much. And then down in verse 48, it's like a little add-on at the end of the story. Oh, by the way, your sins are forgiven. I think her sins were washed away the moment she came running in towards Jesus, determined to get near him. When there's faith and obedience and action, there's always a compassionate response from God. If you're sat here this morning thinking, God couldn't receive me, God won't love me, if you knew, if you knew what was in my heart or what I'd done, even yesterday what I'd been into, Jesus would never receive me. Let me tell you, when you come with a glimmer of faith and obedience, the Lord Jesus always receives those who come to him in such a way. So here we find this lady in tears. Many new believers, or many not yet believers, often find themselves in tears in the presence of Jesus. It's quite normal. I find people that are new on a Sunday, sometimes chat with them afterwards. They say, I don't know what was going on, but when you were singing those songs, I didn't even understand them. I just found myself crying. So that's okay. We're beginning to get our hearts that have been like stone turned into hearts of flesh, get awakened by the lovely presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, if, you, if you cry this morning as we worship, I, I probably will. Um, it's okay, <laughs> whether you're a new believer or a really old one like me. There are so many passages we could have gone to this morning. We, I was going to look at David dancing with abandonment before the Lord. I wondered about going to Isaiah, the man of unclean lips, and yet totally undone and ready to be sent to serve God. I wondered about Paul, who called himself the chief of sinners, and yet we find him following Jesus wholeheartedly and singing songs of praise whilst he's chained in a jail at midnight. I wondered about the woman at the well, who again was a sinful woman, but said to her village of Jesus Christ, come and meet the man who's told me everything I've ever done. I wondered about the man who was once known as Legion because of all the demonic oppression in his life, who was found the next morning in his right mind and clothed and kneeling at the feet of Jesus. There are so many examples in here for us of people who've understood what it means to come to a generous God and be unlocked in their hearts in a generous response to him. Just turn with me if you have your Bibles. If you don't, hey, no problem, but bring your Bible next Sunday to church. It's really good to have with you as we worship. Um, Mark chapter 12, verse 30. I'll just read you a couple of verses. Again, Jesus is speaking to uh, Pharisees, teachers of the law. They're trying to trip him up, as they often do. They've got their Ten Commandments, and uh, they're trying to get him to kind of fall uh, somewhere and trip him. So they say, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus gives this amazing answer that sums up all the commandments and goes beyond them. He says in verse 30, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Say all your heart. All your Say all your soul. All your Say all your mind. All your and all your strength. All your strength. Okay, when you got that, you can go on to the rest of the commandments. Is that okay? That's not bad, is it? And then this, on the second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. We're, we're invited into an obedience out of love with everything we have. Those alls were just about all that makes us up as a person. I love the way David expresses it in uh, Psalm 27, verse 8. He says, uh, speaking of his heart, his inner man, he says, My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. We come to a generous God who is ready to show himself to us, ready to show us his heart. He invites us to enjoy him, to seek his face, to grow in him, to abide, rest in him. He invites us to, to see the affections of our hearts um, captured by the greatest treasure ever, that is Jesus Christ, and knowing him. Did you know you have affections that are awaiting capture? 
If you stop and think about it at the moment, the whole way our consumer society is set up is to capture our affections. First our attention, then our affections. Began in the, in, in the garden in Genesis, actually, with the apple and with the temptation that came to Eve and to Adam. Hey, you, you want to try this? It's great. And now every billboard, every pop-up ad, everything on the TV, everything our eyes get caught by is designed not just to get our attention, but to have our affections, the affections of our heart, to run after them. Our hearts get bored, though, with every lesser love. It never truly satisfies. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for there your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're, we're designed, we're wired, so that the treasure, Jesus Christ, comes first, and the heart follows, running after it, second. So to treasure Jesus supremely means we'll love and worship him with our whole hearts. Our affections follow what we treasure. We need to give our heart something to chase, something worth running after, someone worth longing for. And we've got to train ourselves in this. I don't know about you, my heart is a bit like a dog with a stick. It'll just chase after anything that you throw, a ball, a stick, not even your stick, someone else's stick. It'll just run uh, and chase around. My heart's like that. And uh, our hearts crave all kinds of lesser things. We just recognize it all the time. In our lives, even these last couple of weeks where I've not been able to run, I've been hopping around. I've, just in your body, you think, I'm, I'm missing running. Why is that? It's because we, I, you, you've trained yourself to certain reactions and responses. Maybe you're like me and you think, oh, I've, I haven't touched my smartphone for 30 seconds. I, I really need to check Facebook again. Someone might have tweeted something about my shirt or, you know, uh, those, <laughs> those kinds of things. And you realize, what's going on there? What's that need in me to touch my smartphone and have another little look? Well, it's, it's an affection that my heart has given itself to that is a lesser affection than the glory and the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. My heart says of you, David says, seek his face. I'll just check Facebook. For, no, seek his face. And so there's a, a, we determine to put ourselves on a training regime. We shape ourselves in such a way uh, which says, I, I will learn to, to orientate my desires after the greatest treasure, that is Jesus Christ. I'll make his face my default setting, my, my go-to behaviour. I've got to get to a point where he's my go-to, above all other yearnings, above all other loves and desires. I just wonder this morning, how, how are we doing with that? How am I doing with that? Philippians 3, 8, Paul, the Apostle Paul says he counts everything else loss compared to the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. Wow. So often in our lives, even in our churches, we can come under a lethargy, we can feel a bit weary, we can, dare I say it, we can even get a bit bored in worship, we can feel far from God. I think, because I'm aware of this in my own life, so often that can be traced back to the loss of the pursuit of the greatest treasure, that is Jesus Christ, and a wasting of myself on lesser things. Imagine if Dave Swan said to me, hey Steve, don't worry about Sunday lunch today, I've got you a free voucher for you and Kaz for a Michelin star restaurant. Imagine, that would be amazing. Imagine then if I said, great, but on the way I'm just going to pull in for a Big Mac drive-in. Um, what a waste that would be. I want to turn up at, at the restaurant Dave's sending me to with a, with a craving, hungry appetite for what they put in front of me rather than wasting myself on, on some lesser junk food on the way. And yet so often that's how we approach the Lord in worship. Anytime, Dave. <laughs> in, uh, in John chapter 12, in fact, in the other Gospels too, there's another story that's so similar to the one we've read this morning. 
where we find Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Lazarus is the one, if you remember, uh, that memorable Sunday when we went through the Unstoppable God series where Neil Stevens wrapped up some children in toilet paper. Lazarus was the one Jesus raised from the dead, broke out the grave. And his, his sister comes to Jesus in a similar act of worship. It's a different account, actually. It's not the same as this one. People often confuse them. She brought an expensive perfume and anointed Jesus with it and wiped his feet with her hair. I think when Mary did that, with her brother who's alive, who was dead, sat there, I think she had understood the generous heart of God as she broke her worship open over Jesus. This kind of generous, extravagant, treasuring Christ kind of worship releases a fragrance into our lives. That John 12 passage about Mary, the sister of Lazarus, says that the whole house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. There's a beautiful fragrance when you or I as individuals shut away in our little room first thing in the morning are giving our costly worship to Jesus. Or when a church family like this, in spite of all the things that are going on in people's lives, stand and say, Jesus, I'm going to worship you first. May we fill this house with a beautiful fragrance as we worship week after week, coming to our generous saviour. When I, when I teach longer on worship, we often will look at, at some of the words that the, our English Bibles translate worship. Um, the Bible written originally in the Old Testament and the New Testament in, in the original languages of Hebrew and Greek. And some of the words that get translated for worship are words like to bow down or to submit or to kiss. They're, they're incredibly expressive words. And I think my contention this morning as I, as I think on these things is that generous worship of the greatest treasure, that is Jesus Christ, probably ought to affect my body language a little bit. It probably should affect my volume in singing. It, it probably should affect the way I worship at home uh, or here with the gathered church. Or last night when I was broken down on the hard shoulder of the M25 and I, I found myself in the end after praying and panicking for a moment, um, singing uh, an old song. I can't remember what the song was. Oh, I live, I live because he is risen. I don't know where that came from. I live, I live because he is risen. Do you remember? Some of you are old enough to remember that? I live, I live with power over sin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because you're alive. You don't remember it. Or you just don't want to sing with me. <laughs> because you're alive. Because you're alive, I live. Yes. <laughs> That's not a bad song to sing in the hard shoulder of the M25. I, I think these worship words should affect the way we approach worship. When you read about King David in the Psalms, um, his writing is very physical. Dancing, singing, shouting, bowing, kneeling, lifting hands, they're all actually instructions to the congregation or even to him, himself. As we've said already with David, he even instructs his inner man uh, when his head or his emotions or his circumstances are keeping him from worship through fear or intimidation or weariness or sin. He instructs himself. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget his benefits. They're the words of a man who's saying, I'm, I'm fighting to hold on to his benefits this morning. I'm, I'm so overwhelmed that I may forget his benefits, but I'm telling myself, I'm jolly well going to stand up this morning and get out of my bed and get out of the depression I'm in, and I'm going to begin to bless the Lord, and my feelings will follow in time, in line with the truth convictions that I'm speaking out of my mouth. That, that's what it does with David. It starts in the mind. It starts with an overwhelming idea. We've been forgiven so much. We've been welcomed near and loved. And so, as we speak it out, it begins to move from our minds, through our bodies, out of our mouths. I think one of the lies we believe in worship is that Pharisee idea that God accepts worship 
from those who've been good. Essentially, that's how the Pharisee in Luke 7, the story we've read, approached Jesus with this. How how can you accept worship from this woman when I've been good? I've kept the law. I've done things right. I've performed okay this week. I've read my Bible. I got up. I went to the prayer meeting. I came on a Sunday for goodness sake. Surely you should accept my worship. This story teaches us that we do not teach ourselves that we approach Jesus on the basis of our rightness. We approach him on the basis of his generous love. We approach him because we are not (laughs) self-righteous. As the great truth of the Reformation in Romans that Martin Luther rediscovered, buried. We found a righteousness that is not of our own. We found the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We can come so freely. That's often one of the barriers. You may be... uh, behind this morning as you try to break out in generous worship. Let's get that sorted from the start. We're not coming in a righteousness of our own, but fully and completely in the love and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Worship's not just about singing together on a Sunday. It's not just about your devotional time at home for a few minutes before you get up and get the kids ready or go to work or to school or college. It, actually, it is about that, but it's about so much more than that. And This month, as we approach a generous, um, a generous God... And as, as, as it moves out from our hearts and minds into our relationships and, and even into our relationship with our money and our possessions and to serving God with our gifts and our time, that's what true worship begins to look like as we get hold of a generous God. So we look at some teaching on the Reformation, actually, in a month or so's time, 500 years since uh, some of these doctrines were rediscovered by believers uh, in, in Europe. We'll, we'll see during that teaching in October that a right view of worship actually really does affect how we work and how we play and how we bring up our kids and how we bake bread and fix a car and teach a class. We've we've been forgiven much and we've been brought into relationship with the one who's made us to worship him in all of life. Let me hear an amen, please. But if it's true in all of life, how much more should our worship overflow when we take a Sabbath day, a a, a one-day-a-week rest to come with full and thankful hearts and to deliberately set aside time to come and reflect on God's goodness with his people. It it should overflow. Surely here, our worship response to a generous God should reach its crescendo in the week. Um, When when me and and, and our two boys um, watched Brighton get promoted back in May, it seems a long time ago, now we were amongst the thousands that ran onto the pitch as the final whistle went amongst the crowd who sang and put their hands in the air. Uh, There were tears down some faces. Um, We we sang spontaneous songs. It was was quite a familiar experience, actually. Um, No one planned it. They didn't put up hymn numbers on the big screen. Uh, There were no sheets, no instructions. It was just an instinctive act of, of joy and delight from a community who couldn't hold themselves back in their happiness about what has happened. Does that sound familiar? Uh, if it can happen like that in a football game, for goodness sake, how much more should the overflow of our joy and spontaneity uh, break out as we come with joy before the Lord Jesus? And so I wonder, as I reflect on this, whether we have lost some of our wonder. Uh, I wonder, if I can mix my wonders, um, if we have dulled the majesty of Jesus Christ and his gospel into some kind of over familiarity. I wonder whether we've taken for granted, like a Pharisee, just how great my sin is and was, just how perfect our Saviour is and was. I wonder if we've become complacent in our salvation, even at times a little bored, in giving back to him out of the best of our hearts that should be resounding with love and gratitude. 
I know it's possible because I've done this too. I can stand in a meeting like this and I can blame the song choice. It's not my style of music. It's not my preference for the way we'd worship. I can blame my circumstances and the things that are going on in my life, some of the difficult things we might be going through. Um, yeah, all those things can help or hinder us as we approach the Lord Jesus in worship. But the Apostle Paul sang out from the bottom of his heart while he was chained up in jail. I don't see any chains here this morning. I don't think there's anything to stop us. Mary broke her expensive jar of perfume over Jesus. I don't think, though these things can affect our minds, that they need to be a barrier for us to come uh, with hearts overwhelmed with worship of the Lord Jesus. Along with one or two others, last Sunday or Monday at Ashburnham, the weekend away, I had the privilege of praying with one of our brand new believers who last weekend was totally overcome with tears in worship. Uh, and as he spoke to me through his tears, it was quite un- hard to understand because he was sobbing quite a lot. Um, what he was saying was, I know, where I've, I know where I've come from, and yet I'm realizing now that I've been accepted by Jesus. And what a moment that was uh, of tears of, of grief over his sin, but joy over being accepted into the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, as I prayed with him and hugged him and it all got a little bit messy, I wonder when was the last time I worshipped with that kind of freedom and joy, with those kinds of tears and that kind of abandonment. Surely it wasn't on the football pitch at the Amex last May. Surely there's a greater prize. Surely there's a greater treasure. Or are we those that say, well, you know, that's great when you're a new believer, but we've kind of, you know, I've been walking with the Lord 20 years now and we've that early enthusiasm is wonderful for, for the new ones and the young ones. But we've settled into a kind of more sedate approach. No. In fact, I should shout that no. Um, listen, that, that's an outrageous idea. Again, that, that, that totally pulls away from the glory of the gospel. I wouldn't accept that idea for my marriage. Could you imagine if I put those words into my marriage? Oh, we, we've been, it'll be 25 years next April. Could you imagine if I said, well... That early enthusiasm has died away now. We've just settled into a kind of happy familiarity. What a nonsense. What a rubbish marriage that would be. What a dishonouring of my wife and her self-giving love. How much more again should we approach the Lord Jesus? Not in that way, but in the very opposite. If you've got any of that idea in you, and it's a Pharisee idea, we should utterly reject that wrong thinking in our relationship with God who has made us to love him with fullness and with freedom. Uh, Amen, please. So, friends, and I'll say this not harshly because I put myself in the same shoes. If we can only participate in worship when the lighting is right or when the songs are right or the music's right for us, we've completely missed the point. In fact, we're in danger, like the Israelites, of making our own kind of golden calf, fashioning a worship experience to meet my felt needs. God forbid that we should do that. In fact, I think we are displaying the, the, the spirit of the, the Pharisees, a religious spirit. There's a danger that we even kind of lift our noses a bit and sneer at the freedom of others. We have a bit of pride in our superiority that we've got it together. Remember Luke 7, 37, he's been forgiven little, loves little. We want to be on the other side of the coin where he who's been forgiven much, loves much. May it never be said of us, you love little, because you think you've only been forgiven a little bit. That's a root of spiritual pride in us. It's a, a, a complete lack of self-awareness as, as those who were once sinners but have now been called saints in Jesus Christ. And we should never reduce our worship of the most glorious God into some kind of polite restraint and familiarity. Oh, 
you know what, and if that's going on in my heart or your heart today, even if we don't show it on the outside, and we're quite capable in church in Britain of looking right on the outside but still feeling it in our hearts. Hey, in this story, do you remember? Simon the Pharisee didn't actually say anything. Jesus knew what was in his heart and then told that chilling story right into the middle of it. So watch your hearts this morning. Jesus is watching them. Pharisees, let's cut that out. Any judgmental attitudes we may have about the freedom of authentic worshippers must go. This story shows a Pharisee who didn't welcome Jesus as he should. And so the sinful woman is the one who shows the way. Maybe some so-called sinners, recent sinners, are the ones that will lead the way for us in relearning again how to worship the Lord Jesus extravagantly. I'm, I'm so glad we're seeing some people saved and added from what have been really difficult backgrounds right now because they're going to help us and reignite in us a joy of knowing the Lord Jesus afresh. May we readily come into his presence in such a way. Perhaps we need to repent of pride. Maybe it's self-absorption. Um, we want to come before the Lord again with free and happy hearts and with a childlike spirit. Like these ladies we've read about this morning who just come on, waste this expensive perfume. I've got nothing to lose. I've just got to get near Jesus. Not caring what the person to your right or left, your neighbour, thinks at all. Just go for it after the Lord Jesus, and yet at the same time caring deeply what your neighbour in church to the right or left thinks, because actually your joyful, happy, free, abandoned response may just awaken something in them as well, uh, and that's a good thing too. So we both don't care, and we care at the same time. If you can cope with that contradiction, then that's fine with me. When, when, we, when we face up again to the beauty and the generosity and the victory of the work of Jesus on our behalf, then we find that we can sing about it and meditate on it and, uh, and meet with Jesus anywhere. Joe, can you come and help me with the guys? I'm going to wrap up now. Whether it's on a Sunday, singing great songs, whether you're in a traditional church, even song with liturgies and creeds, whether you're in a small group where we only sing the really old songs and the guy next to you's got bad breath and all that kind of stuff, whether I'm in Romania singing songs where I don't understand the words, whether I'm on the hard shoulder of the M25, worshipping quietly in the spirit, when we get how generous God has been to us and will continue to be, boy, are we set free to worship. Wow. So, may this pursuit of joy in worshipping a generous God release us as we encounter him and, I think, as we'll find, release our relationships with one another, open our bank accounts, propel us in his service. You're not looking forward to those ones quite so much, are you, as this one? <laughs> but actually, it's all connected. It's these deliberate acts of lining up our hearts in his love and goodness, where he reminds to us, speaks to us, convicts us, shapes us, instructs us, throws all our old priorities up in the air, and they come tumbling back down, fitting into a new kind of kingdom priority. So let's stand together, shall we? There are loads of other things worship does for us. I won't get into them today. But we want to repent of lesser distractions. If you need to do that with me, let's do that right now. Let's get our eyes back onto the beauty, the magnificence of Jesus Christ. Let's allow our hearts. Oh God, forgive us when we've been so easily distracted by lesser things. We want to be utterly captivated again. We used to sing years ago, it was one of our Noah's favourite songs uh, when he was a toddler. If we could see, that old Matt Redmond song, if we could see how much you're worth, your power, your might, your endless love, then surely... Surely we would never cease to praise. We've seen, friends, his great worth. So let's come. Let's sing if we're happy and we know it. Let's clap our hands. <laughs> let's sing if we're sad and we're under attack. 
or if you're enduring deep discouragement, if you're locked up in jail and chained up at midnight with no way out, let's encourage one another in our new small groups, whether we're at home, whether we're here on Sundays, let's come readily to the one who says, I've laid a table before you and surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your lives. Lord Jesus, why don't we lift our hands and our hearts to him. Oh Lord, we love you so much. We love you so much. You're amazing. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that we can come this morning as those who've been forgiven much. Lord, we repent of all our complacent attitudes for wasting our worship on lesser things, for getting bored and filling up on the junk food of empty treasures. God, this morning and in these days and weeks ahead, would you open our eyes and our hearts to your generous love again. We honour you, Jesus whether it's with our laughter or our tears or the extravagance of our worship. Lord, even if we feel like we've got so little to offer, we honour you by coming with a costly little offering this morning because we're determined to get near to you. We're ready to love you much, not in order to try and be forgiven, but because we have been. And so we just celebrate your goodness in the gospel to us this morning. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.